Hey everyone, I'm Noah Barnett, the VP of Marketing here at Feather, and today in the studio, as always, I'm joined by Nute, the curator of the Good Marketing Brief that Feather puts out every single Wednesday and drops it right into your inbox. New, how are you doing? Oh, how are you, Noah? I'm good. I just got back from visiting Gainesville, Florida, where is Feather's headquarters. Mm -hmm. We were having a all-team meeting to really kick off the year. It was great. It's good that. to see people outside of rectangle boxes, you know? Yes, of course, of course. Um, yeah. how, was, how was the weather down there? Is it it was good. It was, yeah, it was that kind of blend where it's a little chilly in the morning and like really, really nice in the afternoon. Yeah. And then it kind of cools off in the evenings. Um, we got to play the height game. I don't know if you know about the height game, but mm. it's like, it's really hard to tell how tall someone is when you've only ever seen them in a rectangle digital box. Absolutely. Like I, 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 I know I've met you before in person, <laughs> but it was like very limited in person. But I'm like, I don't know how tall New is, right? And other people are like, I don't know how tall you are. And it's fun to get the reactions of like, oh, you're shorter than I expected. Or yeah. in my case, they're like, wow, you're a lot taller than I expected. Mm -hmm. uh, and our head of CS is like really tall. And they're like, wow, he's really tall compared to what mm -hmm. I expected. Mm -hmm. And it's just this perception issue that we have that changes when you're actually in, in the flesh, in the physical it's form. the camera angle. Because like, in a way, I'm angle. slightly looking down you, so I feel taller than you. But I know that you are significantly taller than me because I am only 4'11". <laughs> I do remember that when meeting in person. I know that I well, there is a delta. I'm not, I don't remember exactly how big the Delta is, but yeah. Yeah. No, people did comment. Uh, they were like, you're a lot taller than I expected. And I think it is because I have like a more top down camera angle mm -hmm. going on. Mm -hmm. um, they were like, oh, that's interesting. And I was like, but you guys are all short. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to, we're not going to height shame anyone, but it is a fun game. Like you're like, I have no idea like who you are. Right. Or even like, we interact in such these like sprints where it's like, I experience you in this moment. Right. And then I go and I like turn off my camera and I go do something else, or I jump into another meeting and I jump into another meeting when you're just with people for the whole day, there's like nuances of people's personalities that come out that you would never get to experience in rectangle boxes. Yeah. I think that's the best part though, because you get more comfortable people like put their guards down a little bit, their walls come down, you can see their personality come through. And it's, I think that's the best part of spending time within teams for extended period yeah. of time. I have to ask you, is there something that people point out about you when they meet you in person that they didn't expect? And I'll share mine first. Mine oh, is always that you're not as intense as you feel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I guess in a virtual environment, I come off very intense and they're like, yeah, oh, you're like, completely different you're not as intense i'm like i'm intense i don't think i'm intense but the virtual box i guess messes it yeah. up i don't know yeah that's funny um mine's just like a very obvious one they're like oh you're so short because i am very tiny but i don't know it because i'm usually virtual with people and i actually don't know how short i am until i see myself in like a video or like a picture I'm like, oh, I, don't, I knew I was short, but I'm like, I'm really small to regular size people. <laughs> so usually that's the first thing people point out about me. They're like, oh, wow, you're short. And I'm like, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for saying the obvious. 
<laughs> well, sorry to bring up a sore subject with the height shaming. We're going to move on because that's not why we're here. Uh, but it's always great to talk to you, new. And every week we come together to talk through what was in this week's Good Marketing Brief as a compliment to kind of unpack some of the insights and tidbits. So what was the theme and the focus of this week's brief? Um, yeah, so I really wanted to dive into a, a deeper kind of subject. Um, with the new year happening, I, you know, nonprofits are evaluating their strategies with donor engagement and fundraising. And I wanted to resurface um, some stats from last year. You know, there's a decline in giving, number of donors who are giving, um, the amount that they're giving, and there's also been a slight decline in donor, how, how much donors trust nonprofits. So I wanted to bring that to light again, not to, not as a doom and gloom, like the world is ending and fundraising is in crisis, but as just to bring to the forefront as you're planning your fundraising, you're planning on how to improve your donor engagement, um, just finding ways to bridge that disconnect and that gap between donors and nonprofits through good marketing. Yeah, yeah hopefully. I think marketing, mm -hmm. as we always see, is is really a pathway to not only generate more mission, but it is a part of the mission. And I think a lot to do with these, you know, decreasing rates of participation, decreasing rates of overall giving, decreasing rates of trust, like those are hard truths to really sit with mm -hmm. as a nonprofit leader and someone who's been in the sector for a long time, very familiar with these trends because they've been uh, relatively consistent over the last 15 years. Mm -hmm. You have to think through, like, as a nonprofit, what can we do to combat those? Yeah. And for me, and maybe this is oversimplistic, I would love your take, New, is like, mm -hmm. all you really have in, to give in, to an exchange to your supporters, typically, unless you're a services-based nonprofit where your your patrons are getting, are also donors, and there's like a service trade type beneficiary type situation, is your marketing, is your communications, the stories yeah. you tell, the impact you provide. And I think it was Seth Godin said this, most likely he says a lot of brilliant things, but it was like, yeah, you're the only thing your donors are getting in exchange for giving to you is what you communicate back to them. And that's mm -hmm. it. Like that's the product in some ways, if you think about it that way, like that's the product we're giving back. So how can we rethink how we use this product, communications, marketing mm -hmm. to drive more participation, to mm -hmm. drive deeper engagement by giving more? by increasing trust instead of eroding it. And yeah. I think you include some articles this week on like kind of talking through practically, like how do we combat these things? So what did you find out? Yeah, I think um, you have a great point. It's not complicated, right? Fundraising is based on relationships and you know, you just look at your everyday relationships and it's really just making sure you're communicating often, being thoughtful in your communications and you know, remembering things about your friends and your family, and that's how relationships kind of strengthen over time. And so I put a few interesting resources in this week's brief. One is an article from Harvard, Harvard Business Review on, you know, this premise of a customer promise. And this is like a strategy that for-profit marketers use. Um, you can see this in like, you know, nationwide is on your side or like Geico's. 15 minutes can save you 15%. Um, and so the, the beauty of it is as by nature, nonprofits, they are 
promising their support or something through their mission. Um, but then where it gets sticky is how are you communicating or how are you delivering on that promise? Um, and so when someone gives to you or someone supports you or signs up for an event, whatever it is, and if the only thing they're getting is like a generic, thank you for your gift. Um, and then you're not kind of showing them what their generosity or what their support is helping to do for your mission. Uh, it can kind of fall flat and, you know, you kind of risk the disconnect of the donor relationship because I'm like, okay, well now what, you know, I don't know what I'm supporting and I don't know what my money is going toward. And especially in such a transparent driven environment that we're in now and people want to know um that's kind of how you build that trust yeah and there's a framework that we even use here at feather but i think it is relevant is that it's not just the promise the promise typically has to be associated with some sort of problem or pain so in the nonprofit's <laughs> case we use a, a simple example let's say it's providing um school supplies to those that don't necessarily have access to school supplies so the problem is that lack of access to school supplies, there's nuance below that, which might be inequity in the school system. It might be um, a variety of other issues, but just oversimplifying, there's a problem here. And the promise is we can provide an equitable uh, educational environment by equipping supplies or providing supplies to this. And you can be a part of it by doing blank, blank, and blank. Mm -hmm. But that promise I might buy into I need what's called proof statements to back that up or proof moments in my journey. And so I need to see like, oh, you actually gave school supplies to kids. That's proof that you're working, that you're delivering on the promise. Mm -hmm. Oh, a kid said that now they're able to uh, focus more on the work in the school because they don't have to question whether they have the right supplies, right? Like they feel equipped and enabled. So now they can focus on education versus feeling maybe inadequate or not sure if they have the right tools. Yeah. That would be additional proof. And so you have to kind of make the promise, but then you have to have yeah. these proof points or proof moments yeah. that kind of make that real. And often it's in what we refer to at Feather like as features or product qualities. Like yep. we have an email marketing tool that helps you reach more of your supporters and report on the actual impact of that. Well, the feature is that we have tracking pixels that relate actual email engagement to actual dollars you know, raised here, right? And that's a feature component. Mm -hmm. But another proof point might be a customer proof point. So maybe it's the Shakespeare Theater Company saying, we actually implemented Feather email and tied that in with our other digital campaigns. And we've seen an increase of giving from our core segment by 20%. Yeah. And so now I have not only the promise, Feather email is going to help you, you know, reach more and raise more. Mm -hmm. Here's how. And here's proof that, that ha that's actually working, right? Like you need all right. of those components. And so nonprofits, that's like your communication story. It's like not just about the ask, but it's about like delivering the story, delivering the thank you, showing back up, circling back mm -hmm. and saying, remember that thing you did last year? This is actually making a difference. And here's proof. Yeah of it so closing that story on the promise is really yeah. important i'm sure Absolutely. geico if you call them and you're like geico's never <laughs> saved anyone money right like it would stop working clearly they save some people money because they say yeah. some people not everybody because i've called geico <laughs> a few times and it doesn't work for me but 
somebody out there is saving it, right? Yeah. Um, or all state, like always on your side, like, or, you know, whatever it is, like those are promises that have to be backed up with proof. And I think we as nonprofits also have to back up our proof, our promise statements. Absolutely. Through communications. Um, yeah. I couldn't agree more. And I mean, I will call out that like, Something like like a caution point maybe is that like in nonprofit efforts to convince people to support their cause and give, I think what I, I do see frequently in the sector is that you don't want to do so much where you're constantly talking about yourself. Like, look at us. This is what we're achieving. We're so great. We're so wonderful. We're helping so many people to where you're kind of deterring supporters big oh, hmm. oh you're, you're fine you don't need our support um but making sure you're keeping that gap of like this is what we're doing and this is how many lives we're saving but this is where we want to go and this is where you come in and help us yeah. um and just keeping that in mind i think is important I, it is such a it's such a thin balance though because there's yeah. also the like i guess well agreed upon axiom that like people like to be on winning teams Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they also want to be on a team where they're needed. Yeah. And so it's like, how do you play that balance to be like, you want to express like, we're making good, like, it's not desperation. We're not looking for a last hope or like yeah. someone finally to step in because if we don't, like, we're going to fall apart. Like some of those narratives yeah. work for a time, but they don't work in like yeah. positive response. I might feel guilt. Right. And so I might give, but I don't feel like gratitude to be a part of that movement. Mm -hmm. But then you're right. If someone's crushing it all the time and you're like, <laughs> well, they raised a hundred million dollars last year. I guess they're doing fine. I don't need to give. Right. Like, right, right. you know, I think they just saved 90% of the whales, you know, or whatever <laughs> the issue is. It's like, do they really need me to save the last 10%? I'm not sure. Yeah. You know, so yeah. that thin line of communication of like, how do you build excitement, but also like still need in presence? Was Absolutely. there any guidance on how do you how do you hold that line? Um, I mean, there was some. I mean, two articles. There's one from Candid and one from Philan Philanthropy, which um, the Chronicle of Philanthropy, which you kind of alluded to, of like um, like emergency appeals. Like you don't want to be desperate, right? You don't want to be constantly pushing out emergency appeals. I think they're useful, but obviously, you don't want to rely on them. Um, but I mean, honestly, it's just from the resources, it's taking a very donor first approach to your fundraising and your communication um, and trying to find relevant ways to connect with people based on, you know, your data, what, what you find your marketing platform. Um, and one that kind of stood out to me is like finding the platforms that work for you especially in terms of social media, because oftentimes in, um, in nonprofits, what I can see is that nonprofits want to be on every single platform because they're like, oh, people are here. I want to be on X. I want to be on Instagram. I want to be on TikTok. I want to be on Facebook, YouTube, Pinterest. And it's really, f and then, then they're stretching themselves thin and they're not quite engaging people the way they can be because they don't have the resources to give each platform the, the attention that it deserves. Mm. Um, so really fine tuning, just reevaluating what platforms are actually um, effective in your marketing and kind of focusing on those. 
And then building yeah. once your team grows, so you have more resources, more time, more bandwidth. Um, yeah, there were a few other, I think, practical things. Like you mentioned the social media one, like really just picking yeah. out, like where can you really invest and make sure you can show up authentically in that, which I think is huge. We do often stretch ourselves too thin because we just need feel like the solution to growth is doing more ings. Yeah. And like more activities and more things. And like if my to-do list gets longer, at least it shows that I'm trying. Yeah. But that's not always the best way, especially as it relates to trust. Mm -hmm. The other thing that there was a few practical things in a Chronicle article um, that yep. you shared around things that erode trust. And it was talking about like the website donate pop-up, like when you land on the yeah. website and it's like, give now, like you may actually be turning someone off if they're like, I just got here. Like, I don't know. I don't <laughs> even know anything about you. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know if I want to donate to you. And these are some best practices that are like, hey, you know, use these things to like optimize conversion rates and this, that, and the other. But like, we're also sending a message and there's someone experiencing that. So how do we do that right. well? Mm -hmm. The the other one I thought was interesting, and I would love to see if there's any that stood out to you, was around um, ways we describe campaigns. Like this is a vital campaign or this is a critical campaign. Like, and you kind of are in this slight emergency phase all the time in yeah. your communication. And it's like, after the first, second, third, it's like the boy who cried wolf, right? Like, you're like, wait a second. Like, it feels like you're always in the next vital, crucial emergency, this, that, and the other communication. And that, that gets exhausting. Um, not only in like donor fatigue, which, is that, which I think is what nonprofits call it. I think yeah. what donors call it is like, I just have an erosion of trust or disconnection with it. And we're like, man, donor fatigue, we gotta be careful of that. It's like, no, they're just like humans that are tired of hearing critical and emergency all the time. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, especially because, you know, when there is an emergency appeal, you know, that activates people because it's like a time-based appeal. They want to take action. But then for the next few months, if they're constantly seeing another emergency, another emergency, another emergency, we're like, they feel like they can't make an impact because I'm like, yeah. I, I don't have the bandwidth or the financial capacity to continue giving to all these emergencies. So I think being more thoughtful about how you use it and make sure it's aligning with your mission is critical. Um, one that in the Chronicle article that I thought was interesting was when you push out campaigns and if every four years or whatever, you're pushing out the same campaign and you're just giving it a rebrand, a refresh, I think after a while, you know, your most loyal supporters are going to see those trends um and it could cause them to lose faith because you're um, almost like misleading them thinking that they're supporting something else when it's just um a campaign with with a new face and so just being honest about what you're what you're raising funds for and don't try to reinvent the wheel if it, it's already working absolutely yeah, I think the only there's only a few things that have sustaining power for a long, long, long time. Like Grey's Anatomy is one of them. Uh, I think NYPDS or whatever the other. You know, like there's things that like people have been watching for like ages, and it's the same formula over yeah. and over and over again. Mm -hmm. But I think as humans, we naturally get kind of uh, disenchanted a little bit when it's like, ah, we've done this before. We know how this goes. Yeah. Like we do want some like spontaneity in our lives, and I think yeah. in both how we show up and connect with organizations. So innovation, staying connected to your audience, um, being timely in your communications around like what, what is the context my supporters are operating in? 
and how do I use uh, reference symbols within that context to connect? That doesn't always need to be like news jacking or like referencing the news or talking about Taylor Swift or doing anything like that. But it's like, what is the context? It's like, oh, it's the new school year back. They're in this like thing. Like, how can I connect with my millennial parents that are experiencing that for the first time? Or that mm -hmm. moment, like when summer hits and your kids are at home and, you know, there's that moment, right? I'm thinking about things that I experience as a parent. Um, but like other people's are like empty nesters, like, oh, when you send that last kid to college, like that's a moment that some of your supporters might be going through or like reminiscing about, even if it's been years in the past. It's like, oh, every time like May comes around and it's like graduation again, like they're reminiscing about this. And like, how might that tie back into your narrative? Because you're... You're starting with the context your community is in and then working to your mm -hmm. cause. Uh, yeah. All of this can build trust because there's signals of understanding and empathy and all of those types of those items. Absolutely. But trust is hard. Trust is hard. Trust new. is really hard. Um, I love how you bring that up because that kind of reminds me of um, the Apple campaign that they pushed out for iPhone this week or last week. Um, you know, trying to engage their Chinese segment because Chinese New Year is like right around the corner. Okay. And so they released this, this, um, this short story about a young Asian girl who has, is very insecure about how she looks and wants to look like other people. And it was a way to just really captivate that segment of young Chinese women who probably go through this, but also like young women or young men who are very insecure about their appearance. And so this story resonates outside this core segment that they were trying to reach um globally and it, it really struck a chord with me because it was relatable it was extremely relatable um and it was just a captivating way to tell a story and so for nonprofits, you think about this and with you know holidays coming up events think about some of the segments that you are trying to reach or are already reaching and finding how to deepen that connection in very um, specific ways, I think was yeah. is like an inspirational piece. Yeah, I'll have to check that video out. I haven't watched that yet. I'm excited to well, bring to your see. tissue box because Ugh. I was crying. <laughs> yeah, Apple gets you every time They're, they they yeah. they know how to do product marketing through like the lens of the sea's emotional yes. storytelling. There's a lot to learn there. Yeah. I always remember the one. Um, the dear apple one where it was when the the i or the apple watch had just come out and they were doing like a refresh to the next version and they had this whole story of all these letters that apple had received and i, I don't know if it was creative liberties or they prompted them or they were actually receiving these of like how the apple watch i'm getting goosebumps even talking about it how the apple watch had like changed these people's lives whether it was like when they fell or when this happened or it encouraged them to stay connected. Like I, my whole body's sh like shivering I, talking about I this. Just, story. I was gonna say, I, was like, I just got goosebumps because I, you know, yeah, you think just of look that. it up. If you're listening to this right now and new, I, I encourage. I'm gonna watch the Apple's Chinese New Year one, but yeah, just search for Dear Apple, and their letters to Tim Cook, like on like how the Apple Watch has like changed mm -hmm. their relationship with something, or um, I think they had one on the iPhone too about how. It was helping uh, individuals with uh, like neurodivergence or uh, neurodiversity or other things like navigate yeah. the world and how Apple's products had been their sidekick for success in that. And like, wow, what a powerful way to associate your brand with these change stories. 
let alone nonprofits who are changing lives every single day. Like how do we connect with that and really show yeah. those stories um, exactly. in positive ways? I think that's going to help us build trust and trust drives participation <laughs> and trust plus participation drives deeper engagement. And we can, might be able to move these trends. I don't think we're going to reverse them fully. I think there's a lot of challenges there, but yeah. for your organization, in your context, you don't have to be a part of the benchmark. You can change the narrative of your community and your supporters exactly. that have deep trust, deep loyalty, and are deeply or in like committedly engaged. Um, and it can be a huge impact. Mm -hmm. I agree. New. Sometimes we end on like these emotional like levels and it's like so yeah. good. I'm so heartwarmed every time we connect. Yeah. I'm grateful Me that we too. get to do this every week. Yeah. Definitely check out the good marketing brief. If you're not subscribed, new puts a lot into this really so that this can be the one email you might want to open every week. I know there's a lot of emails you get that you don't want to open every week, but this one's like, there's heartwarming stories. There's helpful and practical articles. Mm -hmm. There's strategic conversations that you might be needing to have with your board or even with your team or your peers. And so lots of great things every single week for free. Good marketing brief. If you don't have it or if you haven't read it in a while, go back and read some of the old ones. They also have shelf lives. So lots of great opportunities. Thank you, New, for pouring into not only just an email newsletter. It's not just that. You're pouring into enabling our community so that they can do good marketing and that matters. So I'm grateful for it. Thank you so much, Noah. I appreciate that. We'll see you again next week. We'll do it again. Sounds good. See you next Until week, then. everyone. See ya. Bye.